Algar Productions. Welcome to the Post-Atomic Horror, the most comprehensive Star Trek podcast ever produced, with your hosts, Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 373, covering Context is for Kings. Hi, friends. Week three of Disco, yep. and uh, things are things are getting well. We got we got Disco we, for one thing. Yeah, we got past the uh, the prologue. We're into the log, the, and then it will be the epilogue. Uh huh. That must be how that works. I guess right? so. Like yeah. So what you're saying is past is prologue. I uh, past is prologue, and future is epilogue. Right. That, but I mean, that must have been a Star Trek title at some point. It's definitely right? a Star Trek title. Yeah, like, it sounds um, like late season uh, TNG. Yeah, or or maybe DS Nine. Mm, yeah, maybe like mid DS Nine. Definitely an episode yeah. where they go back in time. Uh, maybe or something about someone's shady past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and someone is definitely screaming right now and saying it was this one. Obviously, yeah, we don't remember stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was on. an episode of the animated series where Spock was a giant Vulcan. No, that was the giant Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Take that, written, everybody. Written by Walter. That I do remember. <laughs> I wrote an the episode one, about the giant Vulcan. The one where, uh, the one where Spock grew to be a giant for some inexplicable reason was written by Walter Koenig. That's the only <laughs> thing I remember about the animated series. That and the Rollicker. This is a very specific fetish for me. I guess so. Well, that's definitely a thing for some people. Uh huh. Giant thing, but I don't. I wouldn't recommend. Just... Do, I wouldn't recommend doing it about your fucking your ex co uh, yeah. uh, co actor, your, your once but... and future coworker. Uh-huh. Yes. Coworker, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, Good work, co-star. Matt. Yeah, I think you were struggling because you wanted to say co-star, and your brain could not reconcile calling Walter Koenig a star. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so you just shut down. Your co-skeleton. Yeah, your co-skelet. <laughs> that's it. Uh, why don't you tell us, Matt? Why don't you tell us what happens in, uh, well, this isn't even the 10th worst title of this season, but it's not great. Context Context is for kings. Or as Brian was saying, context is for closers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so six months later, Michael's on on a prison ship being transferred to, oh, I don't know, Ruripenthe, the elephant's graveyard, when her shuttle is attacked by Minox. They're very small Minox, so they only managed to kill the only Starfleet officer on board before the shuttle is rescued by da 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 the Star Trek Discovery, a very nice ship with a very grumpy crew, most of whom are not at all pleased to meet the Federation's first and only mutineer. After using her Vulcan Kung Fu on some prison jerks from Guardians of the Galaxy, Mike is introduced to Captain Gabriel Lorca, who is definitely not an unstable psychopath who will use anything at his disposal to win the war with the Klingons. Also, he has a neutered triple, which is weird. Does he squeeze it like a stress ball? <laughs> Lorca, knowing how useful she is, sets Mike to work on Discovery's big mystery project, which no one will tell her anything about. Also, Saru is here, having been transferred from the exploded Shenzhou, Shen- Shenzhou, Shenzhou. To, a, to a less exploded but still very scary ship. Saru and Michael have a moment where Saru admits that while he likes and respects Michael very much, she did make a lot of very, very stupid mistakes in a very short amount of time, and it would be very nice if that didn't happen on his nice new ship. Next, Michael meets her roommate, Cadet Sylvia Tilly, who is perfect, and Lieutenant Paul Stamets, Star Trek's first out-and-out gay crew member in fucking 2017. It only took 50 years, but we did it. Congratulations all around. He's also kind of snippy because if we're going to have a gay dude, he better be stereotypically gay. 
Okay, now that introductions are out of the way, let's get to the fucking plot. Lorca informs everyone that their sister ship, the USS Glenn, has been attacked near Klingon space, and since they've been working on Discovery's mysterious project, also, they should probably head over there and make sure the Klingons didn't steal anything. Lorca sends Mike, Stamets, Tilly, Security Chief Landry, and a handful of red shirts. Oh, uh, excuse me, I guess they're bronze shirts now. Uh, they arrive in the Glen to find that the power is out, and what's left of the crew is looking like something out of the thing. The movie, not the superhero from Yancey Street, although I'm not actually sure what comes out of him and how it would look if it did, so I could be wrong. After that, we get ten. the first ten minutes of dead space as everyone quietly waves around flashlights, looks at puddles of blood on the floor, and builds suspense before they're attacked by a big, scary monster man. Kills two people and chases them all off the ship and allow, after allowing them all to engage in some quick trial-by-fire trial bonding. They escape back to the shuttle and bring the Glenn's scientific data home. After all this, Lorca offers Mike a place on the crew and a chance to redeem herself after that whole starting a war thing. He also shows her the mysterious project, the Spore Drive, a weird mushroom-based form of warp drive that can teleport anywhere in the universe with any luck winning the war and saving the USS Voyager over 100 years early. <laughs> Michael agrees to stay, Saru gets a shiver down his spine, Tilly makes a new best friend, and Lorca sneaks off to his mad scientist laboratory where he and Landry can scheme about the giant monster they rescued from the Glen before they blew it up, about how the Sons of Soong will soon rule the Federation. How did that become our standard end to a summary and not no trivial at all? Like, at some point, this one replaced that one. I don't know, but I like it a lot. Yeah, it's a very fair. good, dramatic, bad guy scheming thing. Yeah. Okay. This is going to be hard to talk about before we get to our spoiler section, but, mm. but, but Captain Lorca is not a nice guy. No. But There's a reason for it that that's the spoiler part. Mm -hmm. But uh, right now, to me, and we talked about this a lot back in the day. Uh-huh. It, it feels like we're basically seeing um, uh, Captain Decker from the Doomsday Machine yep. about 10 minutes before he completely loses his shit. Yeah, you would think that uh, Tilly would be my good thing, and yes, she is perfect in every way. Yeah, in fact, I deliberately didn't take her because I figured you would. Yeah, I know. she She's not quite Tilly yet. Okay, that's fair. She will be, but like we... Yeah, no, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. But um, Captain Lorca is fascinating and he leaves uh -huh. such an impression right out of the barrel here is a dude who is willing to do whatever he can to win this war and unlike other captains i can name mm -hmm. no one on the series thinks that's great like no everyone's terrified of him people are fucking uh, saru's terrified of him stamets from line one hates him and uh -huh. the fact that he's gotten his hands on Stamets' spore drive. Everyone doubts him and is kind of afraid of him, and they should be. The dude is completely unstable. Mm -hmm. I love this. I love this weird character that, like, is the only... The Federation has given this psychopath the best ship in the fleet because they know he's the only way they can win this war that they're getting I, massacred in. And I don't think it's the best ship. I think it is the be like the most interesting experimental ship. But well, I they, think they're probably they, the spore drive is definitely a very useful weapon in this. War. Yeah, but I guarantee there's other ships testing other tech. Sure. It's just this is probably the most interesting one. But I mean, the, the Enterprise is always like the best, you know, the yeah. flagship, the best one. Like this is best in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like it's supposed to be a research vessel. Yeah. But no, I get what you're saying. And also, you're right. A research vessel in the hands of this guy. Yeah. I mean, like we spent like we spent a lot of time Saru telling us this is this is a purely science. Discovery is a science vessel. They have. Yeah. 
all of these departments working on different scientific studies. There's supposed to be yeah. There's the most the most individual experiments happening like in on one ship in the history of Starfleet, which is very cool. Yeah, I love that. Just that like everyone's got these weird projects that they're working on, mm-hmm. and Lorca's in charge of all of them, and he's definitely looking at them as not a way to you know pursue science and explore and stuff. But he's looking at them all as a weapon. Well, and this is a he's conflict. Gary. This is a conflict we've seen in a million science fiction things and a hundred Star Trek episodes is science. You know, I mean, we had it with like Genesis in um, uh, Star Trek Two. Yeah, exactly. Science is developing a thing. How can the military exploit that? And and it's an interesting conflict. And I think this is kind of a new angle on it because we're really up close and we're seeing how it works day to day. It's not like one episode where we see it or even one movie where we see a new tech and we see a, a military guy trying to steal it. Like, we got to live with this every week, and it's an interesting situation to be dropped into, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And as you point out, the conflict between him and Stamets in particular, Stamets, one of only two guys, uh, and in this episode, the other guy dies, so now the only guy mm-hmm. who really understands this new weird technology, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. And so he can give Lorca pretty much as much shit as he wants, and Lorca... Yeah, he's the captain, but he's pretty much got to take it. Yeah. Because otherwise he's going to lose this the, the key to unlocking all this, you know, wonderful new tech. Yeah, I want to be able to teleport anywhere in the universe and blow it up. And so I, I better not piss off the only Stamets guy who knows how it works. Me, so. Yeah. And Stamets, like, yeah, you're right. It is a little stereotypical. Also, we don't know he's gay yet, technically. I mean, that's not really a spoiler. I it suppose that's true. Like, change the story in any way. We all knew going in yeah. that this show was going to have the first openly gay character, and he's there, and yeah, hooray. Uh-huh. But uh, you're right. It is a little stereotypical, but uh, well, we'll talk about this when we get to it. Yeah. Um, But I do like that he's snippy. And I do like, actually, this is your bad thing, and I want to talk about this. It's so. it's hard to like him out of the gate. Like, I know for a fact that the dude gets better, and I will like him, actually, pretty soon. But he spends most of the episode, understandably, sniping at Michael. And I like mm-hmm. Michael. So if you're mean to her, I don't like you. Uh, everyone on the ship, like, that. there's a lot of that, which mm-hmm. I like. There's a lot of, like, it felt like one long anxiety dream. Yeah. Because... She's there and everyone's staring at her and everyone's judging her and hating her. Mm-hmm. And then she's put to work and she doesn't know what the work is and she doesn't know where she's supposed to sit. Like, you and I have both definitely oh, had totally. nightmares like this. Walking into and a strange, being forced to walk into a strange room to do work that no one will tell me what to do and everyone is mad at me for for reasons I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, she understands. Oh, yeah. Which is worse because there, there's the guilt. Yeah. They're all mad at you for a mistake you made a long time ago. That's a different anxiety thing. And we're also going to get to Death Wish Michael in a minute, too, because oh, yeah. that's fucking great. But, but like, I, I like all that, and I, I actually like that Stamets is unlikable. It's, it's that thing where sometimes we use the bad thing to call out a poorly written thing, and sure. sometimes we say, this just makes me uncomfortable, but it's well written, and yeah. I think... That's probably what you mean. I don't, I don't put think words it's. In your mouth, I don't but. look. I don't think it's bad at all. Like okay, I, good. I think this character is fascinating. You're saying it's a bad thing in the sense that it made you feel bad. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. See, what I liked, and I got to thinking about this, and it hadn't really occurred to me until then. Usually, the most likable guy in the crew mm-hmm. is the engineer. Absolutely. And I don't know why Star Trek does that, but Jordy and O'Brien, Jordy, Scotty, yeah. But I, I I thought mostly about Jordy and O'Brien and Trip. Those sure. are the those are the ones that really stand out. Scotty, yeah, very likable. But well, and Bones also is more in the new in the new movies, but, played by my favorite actor in those movies. Like right. 
but I mean, typically the engineer is is a fun guy to be around and likable at least, or kind of a lovable schlub like O'Brien, mm-hmm. like who's got some problems, but he's still like you want to go have a beer with him. Yep, kind of a and weirdo. So, whereas the stereotypical engineer, and I, you know, this is now a million years ago. I'm no longer drawing on recent memory here, mm-hmm. but I did work for uh, the military, and I worked around uh, uh, like airplane engineers. And these guys are famously kind of high strung and a little, you know, testy and very wrapped up in their work. Sure. And, like, I can confirm that's that's a real thing. Yeah. And, and it's okay. nice to see one for a change. Mm-hmm. No, and it like, makes sense for him as a character, too. Like, as the only yeah. guy who knows what the fuck's going on and under tremendous pressure. And nobody's, like, especially when you're the smartest one and nobody can keep up. And yeah. you're just like, oh, I know how this is supposed to work. Why don't you do it better? Yeah. There's a there's a great bit. This would have been my quote if this was my episode to pick, where um, uh, Lorca walks in with Michael and he's like, uh, "Michael's gonna be working here now." And uh, Stamus is like, "Ugh," and he's like, uh, "Saru, what would you say? You've worked with Michael. What would you say?" Well, uh, her mutiny notwithstanding, she's one of the smartest people, or she is the smartest pe- person I've ever met. And Lorca just goes, "Smartest person you've ever met? Uh, hey, Stamets, he knows you." <laughs> It's just so good. And I, I like all that. I like how snippy he is and how mm-hmm. just like protective of his research he is. Yeah. And like he's got this friendly competition going with the guy over on the Glen who then ends up being killed. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Dude's got a lot like to worry about. Yeah. But also he yelled at a guy I like, so. That, that, that's fair. <laughs> uh, well, while we're, we're kind of breaking this down character for character, which I think is a good way to do it. Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and my, do my good thing. Um. Well, at first, like I said, I was going to save Tilly for you. I assumed just the first, you know, first chance. I appreciate that. You're a good friend. But there will there will be more episodes. And she gets better. You're right. Mm-hmm. She's already great. Yep. And we, we should definitely talk about her next. Yeah. Uh, but right now I want to talk about Saru. I'm really impressed that he doesn't hold a grudge against Michael. Like, I mean, he does. He's obviously mad and he'll obviously never get over everything that happened. But he's professional as hell. He doesn't diminish her abilities when, mm. when Lorca's like, how... How good is she? And he's like, well, she's the best. And he's not even mean to her. Like, he's been through a lot, and it seems like he's earned that first officer rank in the six months since we've seen him. Yeah. But that said, I cannot imagine how this Frady cat functions under Lorca. I, I, like, I, how? I sort of p- picture it as... Like after after uh, after the Shen, the Shenju disaster, after the had, battle at the Binary Stars. Yes, he gets a call as Saru. You did amazingly under under the circumstances at the at, mm-hmm. in the battle. Uh, we want to promote you to, to first officer. Oh, that's great. We're going to put you on Discovery, the best science vessel in the entire Ooh, ship. Oh, science. I'll be safe there. In the entire fleet. That's wonderful. What great news. And we're going to put you under Captain Lorca. What was that last part? Gabriel Lorca. Ah, fuck. I, I should buy a hard hat. <laughs> that covers my ganglia. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't imagine. Like, if Mike, if, if things hadn't gone the way they'd gone and Michael had left the Shenzhou peacefully, mm-hmm. like, under, under good, like, uh, uh, Georgiou was talking about promoting her. Yeah at the beginning and obviously things went a different way mm-hmm. but if that had happened and she'd went off to her own command and Saru had become first officer even under Georgiou who was very kind and very patient I think he would have had a hard time I yeah. can't fathom how he deals with Lorca it's a we- it's such a weird choice for first officer you know to have and a dramatically, guy dramatically 
dramatically, they wanted to bring this guy back, but it's weird to make him, like, second in command. Well, dramatically, it's a very good idea, like, having this guy who's completely different from everyone else. But in the running of a fucking starship, like, it makes no sense to have... Number one, what do you think we should do? I think we should run away. You always think we should run away, and we should. We should always run away. This this is a war, and I am the hawkish... The most hawkish of the hawks. I am not running away. Mm -hmm. Well, then... Why do you ask for my advice ever? Because that's always what it mm-hmm. is. He ran out of the room while I was asking him the question. <laughs> and that dude runs fast. He covers distance. Yeah. <laughs> that, guy's, that guy's got a long stride. Uh-huh. He's a gangle, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I enjoy all these dynamics. Also, this is like putting aside the fact that we know what happens next. Uh-huh. This is the first time, like less than an hour. I feel like I already know these characters. Like yep. even ignoring the stuff that I know happens later. I get the dynamics. I get like, ooh, okay, I get Stamets and Lorca. I get Stamets and Saru. Mm-hmm. I get Michael and Stamets. You know, like, I get all this. Yeah. Like, Lorca and, and Saru, I don't quite get, but maybe we'll figure that out. Yeah. But it's just, it's very good economical writing to have us in the third hour of the show and introducing most of the rest of the cast, and I already feel like I know who's who. Yeah, exactly. They For a show, it, it really sort of, once we get to Discovery, it hits the ground running, but, like, yep. none of that time is wasted. It's all it's all character development. Uh, almost. This and brings me to my best. Till we get to... I was really enjoying meeting the new characters and taking in the new setting, and then we went and did the most boring Aliens knockoff I've seen since the last Aliens knockoff Star Trek did, and the 60 before that. I swear to Christ, I would die a happy man if I didn't see a single additional Starfleet officer running around in the dark and being chased by some vague jump scare bullshit. At one point, a Klingon shows up and goes, "Shh!" Like, really? Did you did you just did you skip the little girls going la 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 la? Like it just ah. And then Michael running away through the vents is quoting Alice in Wonderland to herself. Like, come That's on. That's a weird fucking choice. Like, I, I guarantee someone on the writing staff just said to someone else, oh, no, I got a great idea for this is going to this is going to look really cool. It didn't. No, it's it weird. Just... It's out of and it's out of nowhere. And we find out later that, like, uh, Amanda used to read it to her when she was a kid. Yeah, and, and it's apparently a callback to the animated series, which I guess is all right. I yeah, but it's like, it's so. Like, I'm fine with her liking Alice in Wonderland. Like that doesn't bother me. But quote, quoting it while you're running away from a monster—that's like me quoting Batman for, while while running away from something. Yeah, I. It doesn't. It, yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. Yeah, just like a I, Bigfoot attacks, and I fucking turn around and start going like. Uh, super criminals are superstitious and cowardly, and I'm dead. Uh huh. Because Bigfoots yeah. are scary. Uh huh. Would it be big feet? Uh, it depends on how many feet they have. Ah, that's fair. Most traditional no. Bigfoots only have one foot, and they hop. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Mm-hmm. I learn something new every day. Yeah. I wish I'd learned something useful once. Mm. Well, listen, no, we I can't d- have everything. This this fifteen minute. Just like action adventure, like it felt like a throwback action to the old. Adventure. Well, it, it it really felt like the older, like the the Rick Bermany ones, sure. where it was like, let's inject some action here now for no reason. Mm. And the show had been so like been very good at dispensing the exposition and introducing new characters and so much tension and conflict, and then this and like, ugh. and you liked it. Like I don't want to. Yeah, I it wanna... didn't bother me. Okay, but like well, okay. I'm also I'm also an easy sell for uh, scary monster on a spaceship. I but but you have been the first to say Star Trek hardly ever does that well. Yep, 
do you think they did it well here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to be fair. You're the one who likes this stuff. What mm-hmm. Did it work for you? No, it's fine. You know, like... Uh, Honestly, it's it it's as they needed they needed to break up the episode with some action sequence. That's they didn't just though. That's the thing. This was a this was a back in the '90s when you had to do like uh, formulaic uh, syndicated series. Mm. That's how it worked. But now you don't have to do that anymore. Like like there was an episode of Breaking Bad where a guy chased a fly for an hour. Yep. You can do that on TV now. It's okay. People will as long as it's good, they'll stick around for it. Yeah, they could have just had Michael sneaking around and looking at the spore drive and that could have been the episode now they also needed a uh let's bond the crew together and there's a, it's easy that's to true. do that when you're running away from a big monster that's true there's a good moment where um uh i mean michael's obviously still a prisoner and she's still like like all the starfleet guys hate her uh-huh. uh, but she's over in the action and she's got a plan and she's like someone throw me a phaser and landry the uh the security officer is like you're a mutineer you don't get a phaser and then tilly's just throwing her a phaser yep and then it doesn't come up again. There you go. Yep. Don't look in the trap. I looked in the trap, right? <laughs> okay. That's because everyone may everyone may hate Michael the Mutineer, but everyone hates fucking Landry. I apparently so. And she's the only one that we know is in cahoots with whatever Lorca's got going mm-hmm. on, and we we know what it is because we've seen ahead, but we shouldn't talk about that. Yeah, yet. no, but we can get to that in the spoilers. We section. do get. We do get the dun-dun-dun moment at the end, and yeah, she's the only one. And Memory Alpha says apparently early on those two were supposed to be boning, and I am glad that didn't happen. Yep. Because just stop it. No. Mm, Gross. Stop it. Yeah. No. All right. Well, let's talk about the thing that we've been not talking about yet. Let's talk about uh, Cadet Sylvia Tilly. Okay, so uh, she's perfect. (laughs) I think we need to expand on that a little more. Perfect and wonderful and perfect, and I love her. She's what they were trying to do with a lot of your comic relief characters, like your Neelixes mm-hmm. or your your Roms or whatever. Also, what they were trying to do with your sort of junior officer characters, like your Wesleys or your special boys. Yeah. But in a new and interesting way that works and isn't annoying. Yeah. And she's she's real nervous. She's re- there's like there's a little bit of what they were trying to do with Barkley in there too. Mm-hmm. To the point where I've seen it suggested that she may be on the autism spectrum, and I am in no way qualified no, to answer I, that. I have no proof of that, but if it's true, fuck, that's great. I, for representation's sake, that is great, and I don't know what to look for. I am, like, hugely unqualified yeah. to answer that. But I interpret it, with the information that I have, is that she is young and just trying to find her way around all this, uh, you know, these mm-hmm. important people and this scary stuff, and... That could be it, too. Who knows? And I also, I love her, like, at the end of the episode, she's talking to Michael, and she's like, you know, I don't talk about this much, but I am going to be a captain someday. And, yep. like, I know I'm not there yet, but, like, this is what I want with my life. I, I really like that as just, like, she is very goal-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. No, and she's also definitely, like, I've heard it argued that she's very fan y and I can see that. Sure. Like, here's, you know. Here's a cute girl who likes all the Star Trek stuff you like. Like, yeah, okay, I guess. I don't know. As far as audience identification characters go, you could, you know, you could do a lot worse. Oh, absolutely. They you have done do... a lot worse. Yeah, they definitely have. I, But she also breaks the tension a lot mm-hmm. and not in a fake, like in a forced way because, again, she's young and inexperienced and she would say and do things that a, a seasoned officer wouldn't because she doesn't know any better. Yeah, and you it's were, funny. It's naturally funny. It's organically funny. You were saying uh, before the episode about her being the comic relief for this and that actually yeah. working. Yeah. 
She is. She yeah. absolutely is. Because there's so many tense scenes that are deflated by her just saying something cute and weird. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And uh, Amanda was saying she thought uh, they were trying to go for like a Neelix and Tuvok thing with her and Michael. Uh-huh. And that is not how it ended up. And I'm glad. No, like, I, I, I thought the exact same thing. And like by the end of the episode, no, like Michael's really warm to her. And we'll see more yeah. of that as the, ep- as the se- season goes on. But I, I, no, there's, I like there's that. There's a tiny spoiler that these two become best friends. Yeah. Like, that doesn't spoil the story for you at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, what I like is uh, Michael is very much receding into the Vulcan, like, her Vulcan upbringing to deal with all this just heavy bullshit. And Tilly is the most human of humans yeah. and is basically getting her back. Michael, as we start this episode's episode, Michael's waiting to die. <laughs> Yeah, Michael, like nihilist Michael, just sitting in the shuttle, like everyone's panicking and she, yeah, probably gonna die. Yeah, probably gonna run out of oxygen, or you know, mm-hmm. maybe those those uh, things out there will kill us. Yeah, but, uh, we'll be dead soon. And just like when she gets onto Discovery and Lorca offers her the job, she's like, "No, I ruined my life, and I'm yeah. gonna spend the rest of what life I have left in a prison cell, which I deserve to be in." Uh huh. It's and, not like she thinks anything is unfair. Like, nope, this is this is what I chose for myself. Yeah. And so it's night like this episode we get her finding finding something to do again. Yeah. Finding something that will hopefully stop the war she started. Yeah. And also, you know, a nice person to be friends with. Yeah, and again, I think Tilly is like very human. Yeah. And I think Michael has a tendency to Vulcan up when things get bad and mm-hmm. she needs someone like like Giorgio was that person for her before yeah we talked about that last week where in the intervening seven years from when she got there to the end like she's Giorgio, a completely different person yeah Giorgio helped her get in touch with her feelings and, and open up and and enjoy things she was out in the spacesuit laughing yep. and you can see glimmers of that here now or Tilly's just like this cute little goofball that she shares a bunk with and like you can't you can't be a stoic Vulcan at her. She's just, she's too cute. Yeah. You know, like, lighten up, man. She's yeah. okay. She doesn't mean you any harm. Just be your friend. I mean you no harm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Come in peace. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know. I liked all that. I loved, I, this is the thing that I noticed the first time I saw this episode. Uh, when At the beginning, when the prisoners are on the, the shuttle, and mm. I don't remember the exact uh, techno babbly thing because who fucking cares? But it was like an ion storm, but they were like little microscopic electric things that feed on electricity or something. Yeah. It was weird Star Trek shit that somebody like Brandon Braga would have made a whole episode about. And it was just one story beat in this show. Like, yeah. no, this shit happens all the time in this world. This is just one like three minute thing that then moves us on to the next thing. And I like that we're to the point where we don't have to do a whole episode exploring what these dumb electric monsters are because it doesn't matter yeah it does it's just more weird star trek shit we live in star trek instead star trek shit it's about the characters it's about how it affects the characters and gets them along in the plot instead Mm -hmm. of being about the dumb monster of the week thing yeah which is so much so many things happen particularly to our main character in this episode and i love that yeah (laughs) there's also the great comedy moment where she's like even though she's being a nihilist, she's like, yeah, but as long as our Starfleet pilot there is okay, we'll be fine. And the, the pilot was out, like, in a, in a spacesuit trying to clear him off the uh, the outside of the hull. I just imagine just, scraping, like, like when yeah, your windows barnacles. freeze over. Yeah, exactly. And then just goes floating by. Their corpse just goes floating off away, like, well, we're dead. Cool, cool. All right. Well, that's it for me. Yeah. 
Uh, what else? Ah, uh, what else? I think that's all the guys. That's everybody. Oh, that's the peoples. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk about the spore drive. Oh yeah, spore drive's weird. I so we're in that weird place that next gen went to sometimes that I didn't love with the traveler with like time and mind and space or all this like what mm-hmm. that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But on the other hand, we're kind of like in this far future looks like magic thing. Yeah, that I don't hate. I it's just that it's crammed in right before the original series and it's like if this was a post Voyager weird new thing that's supposed to replace warp drive that'd be cool yeah but it doesn't make sense here and now that's that's my big problem with mm-hmm. it. Well, I think like and you know we'll find this as we go along we're like the show is about why we don't know about the spore drive yeah and I think we get that answer by the end but it's still I don't know like I like it as an idea okay mm-hmm. I don't even mind that it's kind of magic-y because again you know, who was it? Asimov said, like, I think it was Asimov or maybe Clark. I don't know. Whoever. One of those old sci-fi guys said, mm-hmm. like, uh, advanced enough science looks like magic. Uh-huh. Magic to make and... the sanest man go mad, Al? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> It'll be a few episodes until the sanest man goes mad. Who is the sanest man on the ship? Ooh. Uh, you're going to be digging on that one for a while. Yeah. Because my brain keeps providing characters. No. 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 Uh-uh. Definitely not. None, none of them. Yeah. So I, I don't hate it. Um, I don't love, and we already pointed this out, that Michael is asked to help with it, but they won't tell her what it is. Yeah. There's a weird scene where it's like, there's a, there's a, uh, it's not a retina scan and it's not a fingerprint scan. It's a breath scan. Oh. Which is poor, probably based on, it's probably based computer. on technology. I guess. I don't know. I, I imagine most of the officers are very self-conscious and constantly popping mints. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so. we get to see a lot of uh, Stamets brushing his teeth in later episodes, so mm-hmm. that's probably why. Uh-huh. Like very self-conscious. Oh, I got to breathe into that thing all day. Like, I got to impress. I got to impress the computer. Yeah, got to put on a tie to impress the dog. <laughs> oh, and God, the other people having to use it who smell it afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, who was on this last? Get, are you get drinking? O- get over here. Brush your fucking teeth. No, no, see, I'm I'm an alcohol-based uh, life form. No, you're not. You're human. Here's we some went to the same floss. high school. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, but at one point, Michael steals Tilly's breath. Yeah, um. Like, like a fairy. <laughs> like a cat perched on your chest. Right. And, <laughs> and accesses the thing. I don't know. I feel like that's probably based in real technology, and it's, it's just a little little odd i don't think that would work but also i don't care yeah and then she goes into a magic fairyland uh-huh it's so. it's a really nice shot actually I, I like it a lot where like we we've just got this weird like cargo bay that's just full of pretty plants yeah the episode no, it, does like a really good job of like this isn't the entire episode but like we get a really good mystery as to what the fuck is going on there's just a lot of weird shit happening Yep. No, and and we know most of the ends are now. Um, not all of it, but we'll mm-hmm. get the rest of it next episode, I think. Yeah. And I will say it's a fairly satisfying answer. It's not one of those, ugh, you kept us guessing, and that's what, you know, that's what it was. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of payoffs, and we've already hinted at some of this mm-hmm. that, that we're not happy with. But yeah. This is not one of them. No, this is fine. Yeah. Um. What else? Let's oh, uh, Memory Alpha pointed out that 
because I had a really hard time, and I think we talked about this, believing that uh, Michael Burnham is Starfleet's first mutineer, which is the, how they keep addressing her. Yeah, I, I, I made out, a big deal out of that la- the first time yeah. we, ran, we went through these. Yeah, no, it turns out she is Starfleet's first convicted mutineer. Mm-hmm. Because we always see people getting off. That's that was the big thing we talked about last time. Was yeah. was that actions had consequences. So she's the first one that got caught and got punished. Yeah, I I buy that. Mm-hmm. That actually makes sense. Oh, uh, one of the people we ran into, uh, not just Saru from the Shenzhou, but also um, what's her name, Kayla? Somebody um, I don't remember. I her wrote last it down. Name. Yeah, uh, who uh, was one of the like young naive looking bridge officers? Yeah, who now. Half her head is shaved, and she's got a bionic implant because she was so fucked up at the battle, presumably. Yeah. So, good job also there, not Michael. Thrilled to see Mike. Yeah. No, they're they're all not happy. Yeah. Um, I really want to call out, and I don't remember her name off the top of my head. The the chick who plays Michael. Mm. Oh um, God, yeah. Lots of great, subtle acting from her. So much of it in her face, mm-hmm. like the dead-eyed stuff at the beginning, and then the grief and the guilt when she runs into the people she knew and just there's so much. And then when Tilly's like, like they're, they're, they're uh, putting quarters together and Tilly just won't shut up. Yeah. And she's got this look just like, I got so much going on in my life. I do not want to listen to you right now. Just now I have, it's all in her face. Yeah. It's very good. She is such a great actor. And just like, did you know, um, this character was like the, the this character the show f- was written for uh, Rosario Dawson. No, I did not know that. And uh, like, this was going to be her Star Trek show, and apparently she was working on the Marvel shows and couldn't do it. Okay, but like this character, this actor whose name I cannot remember, uh, is so good as Michael. Yeah, the worst part is I remember half of it, and I'm gonna mangle it, and I do not want to do yeah. that. I am going to look it up right now. Mm-hmm. Soniqua Martin Green. That's her. yeah. Soniqua Martin yeah. Green. Okay, she is fantastic. Like, and again, just so much of it in her face. Yeah. Like, like the second time I watch these uh, with you, I have sound down, just because with Skype we always have like a half second delay. And yeah. The echo is really annoying, and I I've already seen it anyway. And so also, I'm the just, dialogue doesn't you know. matter so much as us yakking at each other. Well, of course, but also you have your sound up a little so I could still hear it. Sure. Like, if one of us has the sound on, we don't get the echo thing happening. But but it really made me notice even more how much of it is in her eyes and, and her facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And like like her verbal acting is good and her physical acting is good, but her face, just so much, so much of her. Like if you watched this with the sound off, you would completely understand all the shit she was going through in this. Yeah. So good. Uh, what else? Um, I think that's about all I have. Yeah, I don't... There's a lot to talk about. And there's Landry, a lot to talk. I more want to get into that in the next episode. There's there's also a lot where it's like shit that was not in this one yet. Yeah. Things like Stamets being gay, where it's like we know that, but yeah. we don't know that yet. So yeah. Uh, well, you got a quote. Uh, I do have a quote. Uh, this is from the scene where uh, Michael meets Tilly. I never met a female named Michael before. Do you think that suits you? I'll call you Mickey. I think that's a little more approachable. No, you won't. Oh yeah, no, I won't. Yep, that was very good. Yep, there was. I don't. I wouldn't know where to stop there because that whole scene. Yeah, I could watch that forever. But uh... yeah, that's great stuff. She's like, uh, oh, you're you're Michael. Bur- I've only known one woman named Michael before, but you 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 can't. She's a horrible criminal. You can't be her. And just like. <clears throat> 
Yeah, dead silence. Also, apparently they didn't inform Tilly about her roommate at all. Oh, by the way, the worst convict in the hundred-year history of Starfleet is going to be sleeping next to you. Good to meet you, roomie. (laughs) Yeah. No, and that makes about as much sense as telling Michael, like, not telling Michael what she's working on. Would they do that with, uh, did they do that with other criminals that, like, no, they all ended up in the brig, I guess. Yeah, those guys weren't Starfleet also. Like, everyone just, they were garden variety criminals. This is a special criminal that everyone in Starfleet hates. It's like, it's like when cops see a cop killer. Sure. Like, that's an extra layer of, you know, of terrible to them. It's just, it's a good thing that, like, everybody knows that Michael isn't a dangerous criminal anymore because... Yeah. Otherwise, the phrase, Cadet Tilly got shivved, would probably appear on the Discovery at some point. Oh, no. She don't shiv. She balls nasty. (laughs) Actually, now that I think about it, I think Lorca's trying to get her killed. (laughs) That could be. Also, send her on an away mission. Uh Uh-huh. She's, what, maybe 20 years old? Yeah. Definitely younger than 20, like early 20s at the most. This is her first assignment. Like, she's still a cadet. She's a cadet. Yeah, but but you can also join Starfleet when you're older. Sure. That doesn't mean she came right out of high school, but she is very driven, like you said, so maybe she did. But yeah. I, I would guess early 20s. Yeah. And a cadet, not even an ensign yet. Yeah. And he's just sending her to uh, an yeah, away go, mission. Head over where, to the death ship. Yeah. The No one on the USS Glenn seems to be alive, mm-hmm. so you guys are facing something real bad yeah. that a whole ship full of Starfleet guys couldn't handle. Uh, yeah, I'm going to send the child. Yeah, and I will tell you this. There's no way Lorca didn't know that fucking thing was on there. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. Also, uh, I I think it's interesting to point out Tilly, the first one to have her phaser drawn when the monster comes around. Yeah, she's fucking hardcore. Like, even more than Landry, who seems like a pretty badass uh, security person. Mm -hmm. So, there's that. Freeze, asshole. (laughs) Okay, so now it is time for In the Past of the Future. Someone at Starfleet will play Super Mario Brothers, probably while high, and say, Mushrooms? Warp Zones? Dude, I have a brilliant idea! All right. In the past of the future, uh, the extremely flawed prison system that we have today isn't going anywhere. Well, we knew that. (laughs) Kirk, you know, loved his penal colonies. This is the one where we sort of, like, because every other thing we've seen is, like, prison systems in Starfleet are, you know, they're a place to store prisoners, but they're Uh, pretty nice. No, I disagree. In the original series, which is around the time frame we're in, Mm -hmm. we had uh, the one with Helen Noel where they went down to the... um, the, the prison where they were, like, mind-wiping people. Yeah. And then we had another one where uh, Garth of Izar took over the place, and it was, like, a horrible, like, criminal assault. Like, like uh, Arkham. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen a couple of rough prisons. But we in, also, in... that's one of the ones where Kirk is just like, the prisons of today are so much better than the prisons of uh, the 20th century. Think, he makes a big point of it. I know. I think that's smug future man privilege there. Mm. And then when he goes down in it, it's like, oh, it's not what I read about in books at all. Jesus. <laughs> Anyway, basically my point is, system sucks and apparently it's not going away. Oh, that's true. Also, like, everyone hates Michael for making all this happen. Like, mm-hmm. even the civilians. Oh, yeah. Want to kill her. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, they're, they're in the uh, mess hall and uh, one of them attacks her and she ends up getting in a fight with all of them and using uh, Mike Sussman mm-hmm. to, uh, to incapacitate them. So, uh, points for continuity, I guess, but minus points for that terrible name. Yep. Sussman. I think she says Sussmana. Like, I think they tried to change it a Dr. little bit. Dr. Sussmana. We still know it's based on Mike Sussman, the, yep. the uh, Enterprise writer. So, like, you know. At least it's not called, like, Braga Fu or something. <laughs> oh, Roddenberry Kwando, I believe, was my joke from the first time it showed up. <laughs> also good. All right. Is that is that all for the I think that's non- everything I wanted to hit for this one. Do you want to head into spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Spoiler alert. So obviously the, the, the lead story here is being Lorca. We know what his deal is. Yeah. Um. This Did we talk about this at all last week? No. Okay. This ruins the character. Yeah. Um. No, you said you felt betrayed, and I think that's a good word. Like, I love the idea, and I thought this going in, mm-hmm. that this guy was, like, either just completely broken by war or one of those horrible people who only functions well when there's a war. Yeah. I thought he was just kind of a fucked up guy in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, And instead, no, he's from the evil universe. Like, yeah. Oh, fuck off. That sucks, man. Like, yeah. you gave us this really great, interesting character who is unlike any captain outside from other He's got a skeleton room. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember there was a lot of complaining uh, about Discovery when it was when it was first airing about how he is completely against everything that Starfleet believes in. Yes. And I loved that because well, it's it's like unlo- you pointed out un- the show's position is that that's bad. Yes. Like that's he the is difference. the bad guy. Yeah. We're not supposed we're not supposed to be siding with him. He's crazy. He has a Gorn skeleton. Yeah. And Michael's looking at him like, well, on the one hand, he's giving me a purpose. On the other, oh, man, I don't know. Yeah, it's all very deal with the devilry, and I love yeah. it. And just no, having and him be evil because he's from an evil universe is fucking stupid. No, that robs the character of any, like, nuance or anything. Like, and it, it could sim- just be... It simplifies the character so much. Just like, yeah, yeah bad. he's a bad guy because he's a bad guy. We've seen so many, like in the original series especially, before Gene got this idea that no one in Starfleet should ever do anything wrong, uh-huh. we saw tons of guys. Like, we saw Decker from the Doomsday Machine, as I pointed out. Mm. We saw some uh, Commodores and Admirals. Like, Fucking Garth of Isar, who you just Garth mentioned. The Starship yeah. captain. Yeah. Like, Starfleet, for the wrong kind of person, and it's just like the real military now. Like, uh-huh. the wrong kind of person in that situation cannot handle it. Yeah. And and it goes badly for that. Yeah, you put someone like that in charge of, uh, of an extremely deadly weapon like the spore drive, and you have a real problem. Or, uh, for you, you look at the situation Starfleet's in now, which is, okay, we haven't heard from the Klingons in forever. Mm. I don't know of any other, like, like, thinking back, the Romulans I know are in hiding again. Yeah. Are there any other major threats out there? Like... It could be that all of Starfleet has been relatively... I mean, I'm sure there's been skirmishes. Oh, sure, but I'm pretty sure we're in a... Like, this is probably a time of relative peace when having something like Discovery, like a big science vessel, is, like, what Starfleet is all about. Kind of like what the Enterprise-D was supposed to be. Mm. Like, we're we're beyond, you know, fighting most guys. Now let's just explore and bring our families. Like, okay, cool. Um, And, yeah, I think that's, like... When you're in that situation and you have like a whole generation that doesn't know war, but yeah. then you got this guy who just would go completely, you know, like, ooh, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, he's uh, he's Colonel Kurtz, basically. Yeah, or like um, uh, Winston Churchill was said to be like that, only yeah. he used his powers for good. But yeah. like, he would have been a nobody nothing if not for the war. I've, I've read a lot of things that say that. Yeah. Like, that was his time to step up. Uh, you know, that's just... Uh, that would be much more interesting than no, I'm evil. <laughs> it's just, and it's, it's. I don't like the philosophy that everyone is good now. Yeah. Like just because no. it's Starfleet, you're automatically a good person. That doesn't yeah. make sense. It's a giant military that is full of humans. Yeah, full of humans and fallible humans. Yeah, and as as important as it is for me that you know Starfleet in general be a, a utopia where people are better than they are now, you're yes. still going to have 
unique people, and sometimes unique people are jerks. No, and the conflict comes, like, DS9 understood this, the conflict comes from people trying to live up to that ideal. Uh -huh. it's, not, it's not just there. You have to fight for it. And Michael has this big speech at the end of the season mm -hmm. where she's like, we are like this because we have to fight for it. Like, that's the whole point. You're not just, once you reach Utopia, it's not like game over, I win. Yeah. It's, it's like in a fairy tale where they live happily ever after. Yeah, but what that means is every day they kept trying to make things work. Like yeah. in a relationship, you have to keep working at it to make it work. It's mm. not, it doesn't just run on autopilot. Yeah. And that's how I always looked at the Federation Utopia is like, yeah, it is, everything's great, but only because everyone's constantly trying to keep it great. Mm -hmm. And that means conflict. Yeah. And sometimes you get bad eggs mm -hmm. or fortune cookies, I guess. Uh -huh. Also, we usually wait till the end of the season to do our supplementals, but we got a mail, uh, a piece of mail that I really wanted to address right now. Sure. Someone, and I thought about this and anyone who follows me on Twitter probably saw this. I thought about this all day after I read it. it. It just sat with me. And it's so nice to be watching a show that makes me want to think about it again. Yeah. Like with Enterprises, like I will write notes. I will discuss it with Matt for an hour. And then it goes out of my head. But this show I'm still think thinking about. about, it about. More. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the person wrote in and said, how come you guys are okay with Giorgio doing war crimes, but you weren't okay with Archer doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the war crime in specific being blowing up a corpse. Yep, that is absolutely true. That is true. Uh, and that, I, I believe about that is specifically in the Geneva the Geneva Convention. I d don't mess. I mean, she they exploited these people's religious beliefs mm -hmm. uh, to get an advantage in war. That I definitely, even if it's not a stated rule, it's definitely not good. Yeah, I get that. Uh, here's why I think, and and obviously, Matt, if you disagree, uh, uh, say something. But sure. Here's why I think those are very different. Um, it's all about power dynamic. It's all about Giorgio was backed into a corner by a um, an enemy that outnumbered her 24 to 1. There were mm -hmm. 24 ships there. They said that. Uh -huh. um, she tried to negotiate in good faith, and they betrayed that. She said, uh, let's let's have a ceasefire, and they just kept firing. Yep. Um, they were fighting for their lives, and this was one last desperate thing yeah. from an enemy that had already decided they weren't playing fair. Mm. Uh, she was, you know, she was, she didn't have the power there. She was desperately trying to live. Mm. Uh, whereas Archer, on a number of occasions, uh, had the power and abused the power. Mm -hmm. He would have a prisoner who was already in jail and he would, he would torture them to get information. Uh, of course, the example we'll always go back to is he stole the engine from some guys who were perfectly innocent and wanted to help them. Yep. And left them for dead in a very dangerous place. Because he wanted to get somewhere faster. There wasn't even a life or death thing there. He just wanted to get there faster. Yep. That's the reason. Because, like, we've seen every captain to this point get backed into a corner and do some badass, probably borderline stuff. Yeah, it's one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine. There's that. Uh, there's also, like, uh, in... I can't believe I'm using Nemesis as a good example, but uh, when Picard rams the ship... Yep. ...into the other guys, like, that's some, some pretty... You know, like... And Kirk, that's his whole career yeah. is getting backed into a corner and thinking of a creative way out of it. Like this is a, this is, and, and Janeway did it too. Like they all did it. Yeah. It's the difference is again, your back's against the wall. You're about to die. So you're desperate to try anything versus uh, Just I will do it whatever it takes to hurt someone. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the difference. Yeah. It's, and, it's the, it's we're in trouble versus this is easier. Yeah. 
Exactly. And again, power dynamic. Mm -hmm. If you have the power already, don't abuse it and make things worse. And that's what Archer did over and over again. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. All right. I still hate that guy. Um, Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I know. I think that's everything. All right. Well, uh, next week we will uh, we will have a guest. Our friend Bob will be here, mm-hmm. and we'll be handling one of the dumbest titles that this show delivers. Uh, what what is it, Matt? You know this off the top of your head. Oh uh, no, I just have the file open in front of me. Uh, it oh. is uh, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So look forward to that. Um, the website, as ever, postdumbacore.com. Uh, email address, postdumbacore at gmail. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Tumblr, postdumbacore.tumblr.com. Uh, I am at Algar. Matt is at Robot Matt on Twitter. Yep. And I think that's it. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment. Uh, I got a We got a very nice shout-out from a uh, uh, podcast I listened to called uh, It's a Duck Blur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very good Australian uh, husband and wife team who watched every episode of DuckTales and are now doing Darkwing Duck. They gave us a great oh. shout-out on their show last week uh, for doing every episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to give you guys a uh, uh, shout-out in return for that. It's a great show. I like it quite a lot. So check that out. Yeah, you you scratch our Trek back. We scratch your duck back? Yeah, your duck back. Sure. Yeah. No, we we definitely appreciate the kind words. Yes. And, uh, yeah. If you wanna if you wanna check those out, it's it's a duck blur. Um, Matt speaks highly of it. I don't listen to podcasts. But, sure. Uh, but but uh, noted podcast enthusiast Matt Robotham enjoys it. It so. is one of my it is one of my favorite uh, uh, podcasts right now. So pod style podcast is that what you were about to say? Yeah, basically podcast. I've caught myself saying that too, like the you know post stomach horror style where they review a show because we invented watching. We, did, we TV absolutely and invented about it. it. Yeah, we have so. been doing it long enough to make at least ha- at least a a uh, we could at least lie about inventing it. I also wonder. Like, we're bragging the hell, and I think we, we deserve to brag about mm-hmm. being the most accomplished, the most comprehensive Star Trek podcast. Um, I wonder if we're the most accomplished uh, TV review podcast, period. That's interesting. Has any, has any other TV review podcast done more than 700 episodes of a show? I don't know. How many episodes of Columbo are there? I don't know. I, right. I mean, like, somebody maybe did a Bonanza podcast. I'm try- there aren't a lot of shows that ran 700 unless yeah. you're doing spinoffs like we did, so... Like if there's an SV or you know a, a Law and Order one, maybe that's, in, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so we we might have an even bigger thing to brag about. Yeah, have to look into that or yeah. probably forget about it. That's probably the one. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll be back next week. That's it. Uh, see you, folks. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2018. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.